0: God loves to use people in unexpected ways, even people whom we would not expect him to choose and use for his purposes. And perhaps the Jesus revolution, as it is now known, of the late 60s into the 70s is a great example of one such event where hippies from all over the even outcasts of society found hope and stability in Jesus. And I want to submit to you what God has done in the past. He can do it again in this generation. I believe that he desires to go after the youth our children to really ignite a fire in their hearts to run after him with everything. What lessons, though, can we learn from that Jesus revolution and the things that happened there? Uh, dear brothers, sisters, I want to submit to you that the fruit of that revival, no matter like what you've heard and, you know, we're going to talk about all of that. Ultimately, the fruit of it is so evident and I want to submit is even going to be sitting with us here tonight talking about that my dear friend Daniel Botkin is joining us here tonight to talk about his experience as he went through that Jesus revolution as a hippie himself when he met the Messiah in 1972. So without further ado, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Yeah,
1: Glad to be here.
0: Uh, for anyone who may not know you or you anything about you, could you share a little bit about yourself with everyone in short?
1: Yeah. I'm not sure where you would prefer that I start. Um, Oh, just, like uh,
0: in short, kind of who you are, what you're up to these days and so on
1: Yeah, what I do now. Um, I started a messianic congregation in 1995. I was a pastor for 17 years. Then, in 2012, I turned the leadership over to a younger man. I let him have the leadership and all the headache that goes with that. And uh, and uh, I'm still involved with our congregation. I still occasionally do some teaching and um, you know help run the congregation. But uh, he is the pastor now, Arthur Cox. And, uh, and I travel some, speak at different congregations, conferences. I also write books. I, I publish um, a bi-monthly newsletter. Some people may have seen uh, this little piece, Gates, called Gates of Eden. It comes out every two months. I, I mail it out. There's no cost to get on the mailing list. I've been doing that since 1995 as well. And uh, so that's what I've been doing since 1995
0: okay awesome thanks for sharing that uh I I want us to soon talk about your journey to Yeshua and and that testimony there um before we do maybe it would be helpful for us to define some terms you know when we think about the this this Jesus Revolution there was recently a movie uh made about it and so many people may be kind of familiar with it based off that uh, could you share with us kind of a short, like what is the Jesus revolution?
1: Well, it was, um, you know, I tell people the whole hippie thing. Uh, usually people think of drugs, sex, and rock and roll. <laughs> right. I never cared for rock and roll. I was more of a folky as far as music goes, but, um, the, the whole hippie movement, it was not all bad. People were looking for love, joy, and peace, which is fruit right. of the spirit, right? But they were looking in the wrong places and the wrong ways and uh, i tell people the hippies who were sincere became followers of jesus the Uh ones who didn't they were hypocrites (laughs) they they were just one (laughs) that's good so yeah so there were a lot of you know a lot of people like me that uh you know we wanted the real thing we wanted something real in life we wanted to um I, i mean i don't know that i was you know rebellious against parents I mean I wasn't living right obviously I was rebellious in that sense but um I just wanted answers I wanted to know the meaning of life what I wanted even though I didn't realize at the time what I was looking for was a connection to God I had always believed in God in my head I'd gone to church in Sunday school some when I was a kid but um I was in my uh I was finishing up my third year of, of university and I had an awakening And it wasn't a conversion yet, it was just an awakening. And I can still remember I was out in the parking lot, going to my car, and I had this sudden awareness of how ignorant I was about God. And I'm not sure exactly what triggered that awareness, but I think it was a combination of things. Looking back, I think, okay, I was an art major. I studied, I took uh, art history classes, so uh, specifically one course in Renaissance art, which obviously, has all kinds of biblical topics and you know uh, artwork with biblical themes so that was one of the things that i just realized the teacher would be talking about the trinity this at a secular university you know just art history and i realized i don't even know what what's that trinity mean is that uh jesus god and mary i didn't know i didn't know these terms and um and i'd seen the movie ben-hur and that really moved me and um and I think I'd read some things in the student newspaper, but, you know, it's just a combination of things that made me aware of how ignorant I was about God, that I had always believed that God was real. But I thought, I, I need to find out about God. And I know I knew enough to know the way to do that is read the Bible. So I started reading the Bible. And, uh, and I tell people, I was slow coming down the birth canal because... Uh, I, re- I read in the Gospels. I knew enough about the Bible that I wanted to read about Jesus. I knew, well, I know that's the New Testament. So I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, uh, you know, I wept through the crucifixion and read the book of Acts. That was exciting. And then I started reading Paul's epistles, and somewhere in Corinthians, I kind of got bogged down, and I thought to myself, well, I like the Gospels and Acts, but this Paul guy, he's kind of hard to understand. <laughs> found out later Peter said the same thing. <laughs> <It's epistles. laughs> right. But um. But, uh, you know, I went ahead and I, I continued to read. And and even though I wasn't born again yet, I started praying and even fasting. because I read Sermon on the Mount, I saw Jesus talks about fasting. It sounds like something we ought to do mm-hmm. once in a while. So in my own ignorance, I was, you know, just trying to find this connection to my Maker and, you know, prayed, fasted, continued to read. And one thing I really picked up from the Gospels was the fact that that Jesus said, count the cost. If you're going to be my disciple, you have to really mean business. You know? If you don't do this and this and this, you cannot be my disciple. I, mm-hmm. I realized that there were requirements for discipleship, and I realized if I'm going to follow him, I, it can't be something I just try out for a little while, see if I like it. It's got to be a mm-hmm. lifetime commitment.
0: So that's very interesting uh, because you're your coming to him was in a very serious manner. You know, that's not something that's actually quite unexpected maybe for some people because uh, some people have this idea of hippie love and, you know, anything goes kind of love. And here you come and you're saying, I want to know the truth. And according to the Bible, this is not like anything goes kind of love. This is the love that actually expects of me to change for the sake of truth. Uh, Yeah, very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I understood that. And and that's why I say that I was a long time coming down the birth canal because I wanted to count the cost. And I tell people, you don't have to count the cost as long as I did. You don't have to take because it took me about a year and a half because, um, you know, I, I, I went ahead. I had one more year of college. And I finished you know, my final year of college and, and I was still smoking pot, you know, at this time, I, you know, I would try to quit, but you know, I, I lived with hippie friends and you know, it's right. Oh, you know, um, but you know, I went ahead and finished my last year of college and, um, and I knew that, that eventually I was going to be done with this whole hippie thing. And I, I knew my life was going to change and I wasn't sure when or where or how. And I went ahead and finished my last year of college. And then uh, this would have been the summer of 1971, and it was on um, about June 21st, 1971, the day that this magazine came out. If you saw the Jesus Revolution movie, they have a copy of this magazine, this issue. And I understand somebody told me these sell on eBay now for over like six, eight hundred dollars. Mine's not for sale. Okay, but uh, <laughs> I got mine. A lot cheaper than that but uh I, I went to my parents house one day to do laundry nobody was home and and i uh you know i put my laundry on i went to the living room looked for something to read i sat down and my eyes see this magazine and i thought whoa what is this the jesus revolution this hippie looking psychedelic colored <laughs> jesus and, and it right. and i read through it and you know and it's talking about all these young people mostly hippies getting saved and baptized and their lives changing around and and uh all over the country you know mass baptisms christian houses where they're living together and these christian communes and you know different organizations and you know that was the cover story of that that issue of time magazine and as i was reading that it, it moved me to tears it made me weep because i thought this is what i've been looking for and i said to myself since most of the action seemed to be taking place in California, I said to myself, "I have to go to California today. As soon as my laundry's done, I'm going." I didn't have a car, I didn't have a job, and uh, <laughs> I was actually I was homeless by choice. I would just you know sleep at friends' apartments or wherever. Right. But I, I packed a few things in uh, in a backpack. Had a friend drop me off on the interstate and I started hitchhiking, put up my thumb and hitchhiking to California to look for some of these Jesus people, because this is what I'm looking for. And so um I got to Los Angeles and um I look around the streets, you know, looking for these Jesus people. And I tell people I was propositioned by sodomites and Scientologists, but I couldn't find any any Jesus people. And uh And then i I met some hippies they let me sleep on the floor of their house and uh you know i stayed there a couple days and looked around and then i remember that i had a friend from high school named doug and i had heard that he had become a jesus freak and that he lived someplace in phoenix arizona i thought well i'll hitchhike to phoenix and see if i can find doug so i hitchhiked to phoenix and got there found a phone book looked up uh, his number in the phone book and called and anyway uh you know i went to his house and And he uh shared his testimony with me and i started talking to him and as i'm talking to him he realized because i i was talking to him mentioned something out of the book of job and he was real shocked that i would be quoting from the book of job because as far as he knows i'm still a beer drinking pot smoking hippie and and i'm quoting out of the book of job and i'm i'm somewhat biblically literate and he was real surprised i said yeah i've been reading the bible i've been you know been praying and uh, and so, anyway, he took me to some meetings, and they were very moving. It was young people, and uh, I stayed with him about a week. Then I hitchhiked back to Illinois, where I live, and um, I still con- I was continuing to read the Bible and pray and count the cost. But I still had my hippie friends, and I would, you know, feel drawn into parties and stuff. And I, I just wanted to get away from that stuff, so I said, I want to go someplace where I don't know anybody. So i can read i wanted to read the whole bible i said i want to read through the whole bible because i'm the type of guy that before i sign the dotted line i want to read the fine print to know what i'm getting into what i'm committing to so i told the lord i want to read through the whole bible before i make a solid decision to to be a disciple of jesus so i decided to go to florida um, because it's warm there it was winter time so i went to daytona beach florida found a cheap apartment to rent and i hold up in my apartment and I read through the whole Bible in about two weeks, from Genesis to Revelation, read through even the genealogies. And, um, and by the time I was finished, I knew, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to, I'll serve you, I'll follow you, I'll be your disciple. And so that's when I made my decision. And then after I came back to Illinois, after a couple months, I found out that some young people were getting baptized somewhere. So I went and was baptized. and That started my journey.
0: Wow, so there's not a you know. It sounds like this was something that the father was doing. He was drawing you. This was not uh, necessarily a person who was leading all of this. And or or how would you how would you explain your encounter with Yeshua? Was it uh, because it doesn't sound like there was any church really involved? You know.
1: No. That- I mean, like I said, I had gone to church as a kid, just a, like a Bible church similar to Baptist. Sure. But I, after I became a believer, I started, well, actually, when I started reading the Bible, I was just, you know, in hippie terminology, I was blown away. You know, I thought, man, this is, I never, I don't remember hearing anything like this in Sunday school and church. And I thought, what did they teach me in church? And I, to this day, I can't remember a single thing. I don't know if, what they were <laughs> teaching, but, but yeah, there were no people involved directly, you know, leading me to the Lord, explaining the plan of salvation or anything. But I had my Bible, and um, and it was a Schofield reference Bible that has footnotes, which I read all the footnotes as well, some good, some bad, you know. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff in there. But, you know, the, the plan of salvation, I understood repentance and faith and, you know, all those things. I I understood, you know, that we're forgiven by putting our trust in the fact that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. So I understood that reading the Bible. And I knew that, you know, that I had to give my life to him and that uh, let him take control of my life and decide what he wanted me to be and do.
0: So what what reaction in those and back then, now in the 70s, as all of this is taking place, not just with you but many of your peers, um, in this Jesus revolution? It's getting on Time Magazine. This is there's some steam behind this now. Like, what is the church? How do they see it? Like, is there controversy? Are they supporting it fully? Like, what was your experience regarding that? Yeah, my, things?
1: there were some churches that were very open, um. And some churches didn't like it. They thought, oh, you know, as far as the fellowship I had, after I became a, came back home to Illinois, after becoming a believer and you know, really having a born-again experience, um, I didn't have any fellowship for nine months. Uh, and it wasn't because I didn't want it. I did want fellowship, but I didn't know where to go to find it. And some people mm-hmm. say, well, why didn't you go to a church? And I say, the thought never occurred to me because <laughs> what I had seen in church as a kid, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted real fellowship, like you know, something similar to what I read in the Bible. You know, where people are really you know, following when you the say Lord that.
0: And, when you say that, what you saw as a kid, you weren't interested in that. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, to me, church as a kid, it was boring, and and I thought it was supposed to be boring. As a kid, I thought that God deliberately designed church to be boring to test our endurance to see. <laughs> so you know, every Sunday we'd go to church, and I would. You know i hated getting dressed up and you know and i hated you know it was just it was just boring to me and every sunday after church i would feel really righteous and holy because i felt like i'd suffered for righteousness sake again and, <laughs> but, but anyway you know I, I wasn't interested in the sort of church i had seen as a child but i did want fellowship and i didn't know where to go to find it but eventually i heard about a place in an old corn crib I don't know if some people might not know what a corn crib is but here in illinois we raise a lot of corn and a corn crib is just like a barn like structure to hold the corn and uh some farmer with a had a corn crib out in the country that he wasn't using and he let uh, a group of young people fix it up for meetings and so they called it they just called it the crib and i heard about it so i i found out where it was and uh it was out in the country in the middle of nowhere some backcountry road and um i finally found it one night and from the very first night when i was there it was a group maybe 30 young people and there were a couple older men there leading the meeting and and there was, was singing uh there was no musical instruments that night i don't think but there was singing there were testimonies and then they said let's go to prayer and everybody's praying at the same time and i, and I just saw the presence of god and from that first night i knew this is where I belong, this is, here's a body of people that I can have fellowship with. So that became my home fellowship, and uh, we met in that building um, Friday night, Saturday night, Monday night, three nights a week. And then uh, we would go out in the streets evangelizing after prayer meeting on Saturday a lot of times, and we'd go out evangelizing a lot. I mean, we went out on the streets with tracts and, we carried our Bibles everywhere we went and we would just talk to people. Uh, pick so up it wasn't
0: out. boring anymore, right? No, it was,
1: exciting. <laughs> it was as exciting as all get out. It
0: was. Yeah, it was but, exciting. But why was it exciting? I mean, what was the big for someone who's a young who's young now? You know, there's a lot of other cool stuff happening that the friends were busy with. Like, why? Why are you giving up pot for this? You know, why are you not do, going to the bar and doing all the other things that your friends are doing for? And why are you no going des- to the church instead?
1: No desire for that stuff anymore. I mean, I had no desire for pot or drinking anymore. Uh, I just wanted to s- follow the Lord, seek the Lord, have fellowship with the brothers. And, you know, a bunch of us single brothers, we rented an old house for $65 a month. And, you know, with the rent split about five ways, we could live really cheaply and and uh, most of us didn't have a regular job, but not because we were lazy. We didn't have a job because we we wanted to spend our time seeking the Lord, growing in the faith, evangelizing, having Bible studies, and bringing people to the Lord, making disciples. I mean, we were we were not lazy. You know, we we were busy, and um, we were about our Father's business. And I mean, I I did eventually get a a job. As a, I was a cook at the International House of Pancakes, so I now tell people I was once an international chef. <laughs> but finally, I, I did that for two months. You know, I would we would get a job, save up enough money to live off of for a few months, and then you know get back to full time work. and And it was exciting because people were coming to the Lord. Uh, I mean, it was it was a time where young people. I mean, I can't explain why it's just a work of the spirit, I guess. But I mean, sometimes it was like the fruit was it's like fruit that's ready to fall off the tree. Um, The brother's house I was living at. I mean, one night there were I think it was three guys came knocking at the door, three young guys, and um, we didn't really know them personally. We'd seen them, you know, at high school or something, you know, years before. We knew who they were, but we didn't really know them. they knocked at the door and they just said, well, we heard that something's happening here with about God and Jesus and the Bible, and, and we want to get in on it. Basically, they were asking us, how can we, how can we come to the Lord? So we led them to the Lord. And, uh, you know, there were revival meetings at churches, and, um, you know, we would go to them, Pentecostal churches, a lot of Pentecostal revival meetings. Um, and you, you, you would ask about how the churches reacted to it. Uh, it seems like the Pentecostal churches, at least here, you know, in Peoria, Illinois, were very open. I mean, they welcomed the, the hippies, even if we weren't wearing a necktie and suit and stuff. You know, they welcomed us because they could see that we really loved the Lord, that we were really serious about, um, you know, about serving the Lord. And, um, you know, at the brother's house there where we lived, um, you know, we would go to all of our old friends. And this uh, a couple of them, they were you know criminals um this one one friend of ours his nickname was mouse his real name was donald but everybody called him mouse even the police knew him as his nickname i mean he committed all kinds of petty crimes and you know how lawyers will have their diplomas and certificates and awards up on the wall well he had all of his arrest records and summonses for court <laughs> and he would put them on a bedroom wall he was proud of his <laughs> petty oh, criminal cool. records then there was another guy named jim that uh, anyway, we evangelized those guys, you know, told them what had happened. Basically, just gave our testimonies. That, hey, we, you know, we left the old life and man, we're, we're born and we're born anew. And, and they were interested and they both got converted and baptized and they oh. moved in with. Them. And the police, they would watch our house at night because we would go out late at night for coffee, you know, and, and they would see a lot of people coming and going to our house. And so they probably thought, oh, it's, you know, they're selling drugs there. And they would sometimes pull us over, you know, and just kind of look in the car and ask us what we were doing, where we were going. And so finally, the the two guys that had been criminals, they uh, called the chief of police up and asked him if he would come to the house that they wanted to talk to him. And so he came, okay. and they fixed him a cup of coffee and sat down, and they explained to him that what had happened to him. They said, "Hey, you know, we don't want to be criminals anymore. We've we've gotten saved. We gave our lives to the Lord. We got baptized and." We're living here and we're serving the Lord now. Wow. Come on. He was just stunned. He said, Oh, that's amazing. He said, The guys at the station aren't going to believe this. This is, I just can't get, he can't, (laughs) he he just couldn't get over it. And so after that, they quit harassing us, you know, but, uh, (laughs) that's so cool. You know, and, uh, yeah, it was an exciting,
0: in a strange way, uh, it's, you know, well, it reminds me a lot of just the type of people that Yeshua, that Jesus picked. He comes to the fishermen and they're kind of, in another way, hippies, right? They're uh, looked down upon by society, um, kind of tossed aside. And and yet, because their lifestyle in of itself is, um, you know, they, they don't have a lot, say, a lot of worldly possessions, a lot to keep them back, uh, you know, they just run when Yeshua comes and says, follow me. And yeah. in a, in that same way, hippies, because of this lifestyle that's so, you know, come and go, you know, you, you have a job for a little while and you, you kind of just sleep on couch, you know, that whole kind of lifestyle everyone knows about, you know, that's kind of perfect for the call of a disciple, because now when Yeshua says come and follow me, leave all you have, pick up your cross, you know, you're saying, You read all this and you're like, I'm I'm going to take this seriously. And a lot of Christians, Daniel, as you know, they don't like when we when we hear that call, pick up your cross and follow me. It's like, okay, yeah, but but how many of us actually take that seriously, being willing to give up anything to follow him? And, And that's because, you know, you did and you took it as seriously as you did, then you see the fruit of his power in your life and. And I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, how many Christians struggle to see his power? Because, I mean, you guys, you saw his power. I mean, seeing your friends just be transformed like that and seeing when you, when that you tell your testimonies there, you know, that's the Holy Spirit's power working there. And that's because there's such sacrificial hearts in the room, yeah. right, as you have. So, you know. What would you say to someone who is a who is perhaps, you know, looking to either give their life to him or who have, but maybe they can't fully confidently say that they have they're willing to totally pick up their cross and give up anything and everything for him? Like, what would you say to someone in that place?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that it's a matter of trust, that we have to trust him, that. If he wants to change your plans, I mean, it's okay to make plans for your life. I mean, most people, you know, they want a career in this thing or that thing. But when we come to the Lord, everything goes on the altar, including our plans. And if he wants to change our plans, he has a right to do that. And um, I guess I would just encourage people that if you're afraid he might take something away from you that you want to hold on to, in the long run, you're going to be better off without it. I mean, the Lord took some things away from me that grieved me. But in the long run, I realized, you know, I'm better off without that. And mm. so we have to trust that he knows what's best for us. And, um, you know, like he said, whoever, if you, if you, you know, if you forsake father, mother, whatever, you know, you'll you'll get more. You know, whatever, whatever you have to sacrifice, the Lord is going to make it up. and and give us even more than what we've lost
0: right uh there's someone uh amanda on uh, youtube who's asking this question um so it was a revival of true jesus obedience faith not living how they want to live and say i love jesus so you know do you think there were hippies who were in some ways impostors and that they were kind of just stamping Jesus on them because it was becoming more cool or oh, oh, like sure. you think so? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah. I mean if if you study the history of revivals in Christianity, it's there's always been you know what Charles Finney called counterfeit conversions. You know, there's there are always going to be well the parable of the sower. You know, some of the seeds fall on among the thorns, some fall on uh you know on rocky soil but the some of the sea falls on good ground. So, you know, there's always gonna be people springing up like the seed that falls among thorns and, and rocks. It, you know, it springs up right away, but it endures only for a season. So yeah, th- there were, mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, I can think of a lot of my friends, you know, from 40 years ago, a lot of them that totally backslid, others that just lost their zeal, lost their first love. and. They might still be going to church, but they're, you know, they're not really actively serving the Lord. And so, and yeah, this
0: is perhaps key to highlight here because, you know, a lot of people, they they want to look at a movement or a move of God or a revival or whatever you want to call it historically, and they want to judge it. Uh, I think in a way that doesn't use discernment when we say, well, look, some fell away, therefore it wasn't God. But ultimately, You know, when when there is a move of God, there is, like you say, going to be people who are just on fire, who give their life and who remain. But then there are going to be others who just who wither away, just like the parable of the seeds. And, you know, because when Asbury, that Asbury revival, it was all over the news, as you you know well about that, I'm sure, Um, or events like it, you know, there are then people who who point to certain things, they may witness of what certain people did or said. But, you know, it sounds like perhaps we should look upon possible repeats of something like the Jesus Revolution with an encouraged heart looking for the good, looking for what God is doing, but also being uh, just aware that the enemy is also going to try and distort, perhaps try and bring in uh, heresies in between. But that doesn't mean that with God that God isn't moving. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't involved. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't uh, having his way in many hearts either. You know, it, it's kind of like, I guess what I want to say is that there's a war going on at all times. And so when there is a great move of God, we're going to expect the enemy to try and also extinguish that. And as believers, we should be uh, cognizant of that and uh, judge rightly.
1: Yeah, because, you know, the, the enemy, he wants to, if genuine revival is breaking out, the enemy wants to discredit it. So he will raise up fanatics, you know, people that are just, you know, off the wall or do crazy things or, you know, false doctrines. I mean, he'll try to discredit the whole thing by drawing attention to the, you know, the rotten fruit among the people that are there. So if, yeah, if the devil's not trying to discredit something, I I mean, if the devil is trying to discredit something, that's a good sign that something real probably is happening.
0: Right. Right. Uh, There's another question from uh, YouTube by John. He asks, what lessons should the current church learn? from the Jesus Revolution?
1: Um, I think one of the weaknesses of the Jesus Revolution was what I see in the Messianic movement today, and that is what I call hyper-independence. People refusing to be accountable to to leaders. And I realize leaders can be abusive. They can lord it over the flock, you know, and all that. But uh, there, there are way too many people that are hyper-independent. They don't want to be accountable to any human leaders. They say, I'm just accountable to the Lord. I don't follow any men. Well, you know, that's not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is you've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Uh, Book of Hebrews says, obey them that have the rule over you for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. So that presupposes that there are going to be people ruling over you. And that, and again, that doesn't mean lording it over you and, you know, a dictator and uh, all that stuff. But um, I think that was one of the weaknesses of the Jesus movement was that a lot of people were just way too hyper-independent. And I mean, I even went through, you know, some periods of my life where I was uh, a little bit too hyper-independent and later had to repent and, and make some apologies. So, uh That's one lesson I guess we could learn from it. And uh, maybe another lesson is to, well, like what you pointed out, don't discredit the whole thing because you see some rotten fruit in the midst of
0: it. Mm, That's good. Uh, And, you know, despite even when there is rotten fruit in the midst of it, or even when there are genuine hearts who aren't perfect, you know, I just, I'm reminded of what Yeshua spoke regarding the children. Right. And he, he said, you know, don't forbid them for these are therefore the, the the kingdom of God is unto them. Now, if you think about what he's trying to say there, right, he's when you think about children, we know children aren't perfect. They're still learning a lot. They may not even be well behaved yet. <laughs> um, but yet at the same time, those things the father sees you. Uh, our father in heaven is not just a God or God, but he is our father. So that means he understands like our learnings, our weaknesses, and as we're growing as children. And so how much more so then if we see youth, children, uh, teenagers, whatever, seeing their hearts being turned more to God should that not be something we get more excited about and we should be careful therefore to not just point a finger at what they're doing wrong because they're going to do stuff wrong like you know they're going to make mistakes and that's expected so like okay what does that help us to point that out i'm sure there's biblical there's gentle loving correction all these things however we should not we should be careful not to keep them from yeshua by speaking down on them and Um, making them feel like they don't really have a place in God's kingdom or even the church. You know, some hippies, perhaps it sounds like, you know, some churches gave a little bit of a cold shoulder because they weren't probably sure what to do with it. Uh, And perhaps we should be careful of that uh, if God were to do something like that again.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, people um, and this applies in a lot of areas a lot of times people have unrealistic expectations you know that oh he got converted and baptized oh he's going to be he's going to do everything right now no he's not i mean I, you know our theology was messed up in some ways you know the, the whole jesus revolution i mean we we didn't understand shabbat you know sabbath and you know the whole law being done away i mean you know we just we're new in the faith and you know we go to church we listen to christian radio and you know right. the sabbath comes up well colossians 2:16, galatians 4 romans 14 oh okay and you know so you know our theology was flawed we didn't understand a lot but but over time you know for a lot of us that changed because the more we'd read and study the scriptures the more we would you know have these nagging questions and uncertainties in the back of our mind about some of the things we were taught in the churches By well-meaning people, I always want to add, you know, there are some messianic people that are kind of mean-spirited and they uh, say, oh, the church lied to us. No, they they didn't lie to you. I mean, I guess if you want to technically define a lie as an untruth, but I said, look, these were, they were not deliberately, nobody was deliberately lying, trying to deceive you. These were well-meaning people who were simply misinformed by well-meaning people before them who had been, misinformed by well-meaning Christians before them so it's not like there's this you know this church conspiracy to deceive all these christians about sabbath and you know torah and all that stuff it's just you know i tell people it's it's because of the sunday christians because of they they inspired me or reading about some of the great you know christian people like finney and aw tozer and Watchman, you know, these that, you know, we've not called them messianic, you know, they weren't Seventh-day Sabbath keepers and stuff, but Mm. they inspired me to a closer walk with the Lord. And so really they're partly to blame for me coming to understand Sabbath. And because, you know, their example and their inspiration motivated me to seek a close walk with the Lord, to really zealously Mm. desire to understand scripture. And so I, I believe it's God's timing Because some people, you know, when I first started keeping Seventh-day Sabbath, some of my Christian friends, their first question was, well, you think you know more about this than Billy Graham? if, If this is true, why doesn't Billy Graham see it or David Wilkerson or some of these other great men of God? And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know why they don't see it. I said, maybe they have never really sat down and done a detailed study of that specific topic thoroughly enough to see it the way I have, right. but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not my job to you know, judge or criticize men of God of the past or of the present
0: mm, kind of- we're all We all do have, I believe we all have blind spots. There are certain things yeah. we don't see. And so for us to say, well, I have this thing, right? So that makes me, you know, someone who's yeah. arrived somewhere, of course, now we should be so careful of that. Um, yeah you know there's uh, amanda says um misinformed by the adversary many years before with separation of christianity and judaism okay uh Sa- sandra chapman says stepping stones amen so you know there's there's this importance for us to have grace on other people and to see, see meet them where they're at and then we can grow alongside them when we have grace on them, because we can build a relationship with them. There can be a, a fellowship that can be unity, because ultimately if we build, if because what you had, Daniel, is you had Jesus. Right. And so when you have him, all the other theologies can be up and down, left, right, all over the place. But those things come more into alignment. The more the closer we get to him, the, the more steps we take towards him. But we can still be in unity with those who aren't perfectly in alignment theologically with us on all those same levels. And you so, know, uh, this, yeah.
1: I was going to mention um, this uh, HRN Revive conference that I just was at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the teachings I did was called um, Helping Christians Transition with Faith Affirming Care. And, uh, helping Christians transition. Obviously, I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about transition to the messianic way. But uh, what I emphasized in that teaching was that, okay, we want to help Christians transition to an understanding of, of Torah and Sabbath and all that stuff. But we have to do it with faith affirming care. And so we need to make sure that we let them know that we care about them. You know, if we just come at them with a club and bashing them and saying everything in the church is pagan and all that stuff that you know that's not coming at them with care and it has to be faith affirming care and by that i mean that we have to affirm that the faith they have in jesus christ is genuine we have to affirm that that look you know if they are truly born again believers that that their faith is genuine we're not questing that we're not saying that they're not saved because they don't understand and Sabbath and stuff like that so we need to affirm that their relationship with God through Jesus Christ is real because I know mine was I tell people for 17 years I was a pork eating Sabbath breaking Christian but I wasn't doing those things out of rebellion and defiance I had just been misinformed by good well-meaning people who had been misinformed and the Heavenly Father knew that so he blessed me in spite of of my ignorance he still blessed me I mean, I could tell you so many stories about bless the way the Lord blessed me for those seventeen years when I was a poor, healing, Sabbath-breaking Christian, and he um, you knew I was I was just doing. it. I had been misinformed, and you know, it's like I tell people, okay, I have children, and uh, you know, when my children were little, I expected them to obey obey me, and if I had told someone, hey, uh, tell my daughter to you know do such and such a thing. Well, if they misinformed her, if I said tell my daughter to uh, cook some rice and beans, and and they got mixed up and they misinformed her and said your dad wants you to cook some uh, uh, potatoes and corn, and I get to the kitchen and find out we cooked potatoes and corn. You were supposed to cook beans and rice. I'm not going to be mad at my daughter for being misinformed by somebody. Uh, I might be a little upset with the person who misinformed him if the person did it deliberately. So yeah, we have to realize that right. Christians their relationship with God is real, and so we we have
0: to affirm that. Absolutely. That's such a good word. Uh, Daniel, you're also known for speaking about the Holy Spirit in your ministry and the being open about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and things of that nature. Share with us a little bit about how you were kind of drawn to that side of your faith.
1: Yeah, well, you know when i was a new believer and started going to fellowship the, the fellowship that i attended was mostly pentecostal people and they talked about the baptism of the holy spirit being filled with the spirit speaking in tongues and um and that intrigued me and you know there of course people have mixed you know reactions to that but i read the bible I okay acts chapter two peter said the promises to you and to your children and to as many as are far off, as many mm-hmm. as the Lord are God, I God on call. And I thought, well, it's not just for the people in the first century, obviously. It's for you know, as many as are far off. That's that's us. And then I read in Luke, uh, I think it's chapter 11. I'm not sure the chapter where the Lord said, uh, you know, if, if you're a father, if, you're, if your child asks for a, a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for a, an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? If he asks for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? it's a rhetorical question obviously you know of course not and then he said um and i'm paraphrasing here he said uh if you're if you basically if you ask for the holy spirit if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask and that really set me free because i realized because you know some people say well if you ask to be filled with the spirit speak in tongues you might get a demon what kind of trust is that, in the Heavenly Father?
0: I've heard that one I, before how, too. I've heard that if before. If
1: a Heavenly Father, for the Holy Spirit, you're saying He might send a demon into me.
0: Yeah. Didn't
1: you just see what Jesus said? That how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So I asked, and uh, and um, it didn't happen at a church where somebody laid hands on me and shook me until I spoke in tongues. It it. Uh, <laughs> You know i i'd witnessed that happening but uh, the way it happened to me was we were living at the brother's house and and just me and one other brother were still awake the others were asleep and we were just fellowshipping and talking and getting excited talking about the lord and we just sensed this presence you know this this presence in, uh, of the holy spirit in our midst and and we man, we need to pray we need to pray and uh we thought well praying quiet was out of the question. We didn't wake up when I wake up the other brothers, but we thought, praying quietly is out of the question. We can't pray quietly. So he said, well, let's go to my house. He just lived a short distance away. So we got in his pickup truck and start driving toward his house just a short distance away. And we're both praying, you know, praying audibly as he drives and just there in the pickup truck. I just started speaking in tongues, praying in tongues and and we stayed awake that whole night praying and singing and shouting and reading scripture to one another, didn't sleep a wink that whole night. And wow. I was, I was lit up. I was wound up. That, that was my baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I tell people that, you know, I, you know, I'm Messianic, but I still consider myself Pentecostal in the sense that I believe in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. I still pray in tongues. I don't hardly a day goes, has gone by in the last 40 some years, 50 years that, I spend time praying in tongues every day. It's
0: just part of my my life. And that's interesting because a lot of people, when they say, you know, when they come to the understanding of, say, the Sabbath or the importance of holiness and the commandments, some people have expressed that they may have been interested in the Holy Spirit or even walking in the Holy Spirit to some extent in their life. And then when they came around to the Torah, then some of those things started falling by the wayside. But you're saying that that has never left you. That has always been uh, something you've been practicing and looking to. What would you say to someone who's on the other side saying, I actually want that, but I don't even know like where to begin with all that or how to. Retain that as part of my life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess just to, to pray and seek the Lord, and uh, and maybe have someone pray with you, you know, because um, I mean, we've prayed for some people that, you know, that want to be filled with the Spirit, and and sometimes it happens, you know, and uh, so yeah, it's still for today, and um, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, I've experienced different things over the years. I mean, it's not an everyday occurrence that I get a word of knowledge or whatever, you know, but just occasionally, you know, things happen. And, uh, well, my wife was healed just a few weeks ago. We have a midweek meeting at our outreach center. We have a Tuesday night meeting, and actually we're studying about the Holy Spirit. We started this last November. We're going through every Bible verse. Every verse in the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and we are seeking the presence and the power of the holy spirit so we you know we discuss the passage of scripture about the holy spirit we have a few songs before that then we just discuss the passage and then we have time in prayer but it's prayer where we want to focus specifically on what we have talked about that night about the holy spirit and pray about you know getting the spirit working in our lives like what we've read about but you know prayer meetings sometimes Uh, prayer meetings will be all over the place. You know, somebody prays for, you know, Aunt Maud's cancer and somebody prays for the persecuted Christians in uh, this country or that country and somebody prays for the, you know, whatever problem or this or that problem. And and I'm not criticizing that, but we try to keep our prayer focused on what we have studied about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And um, it was, I think it was about three weeks ago, my wife had, dropped something heavy on her foot and it was in excruciating pain and uh and so we just anointed with oil we prayed and it quit hurting and it it hasn't hurt since then you know so it was it was a healing and
0: oh awesome
1: uh, so cool and and my wife herself this is a few years ago um one of our neighbors lady next door to us you know they were talking over the fence and and uh, this lady told my wife that she had a tumor. She was going to have to get surgery for some tumor. And my wife asked if she could pray for her. And so she said, yeah, yeah, I like prayer. And my wife just prayed a short, simple prayer. And the woman went to the doctor. And the doctor said, I don't understand. That tumor's not there anymore. How could that oh. have happened? And the lady said, well, my neighbor lady prayed for me. It's <laughs> not going to be that. Uh, so you know, I mean, it's so cool. You know, don't get prayed every time. I mean, people don't get healed every time we pray for them. But I, have, I have the attitude: what's, what's it hurt to ask? You know, what's? He's sick. Somebody is sick. You know. Well, the worst thing that can happen is that the answer will be no. They're not going to be healed. That's the worst thing that can happen. So I say, if somebody's sick, let's pray for them. You know. And if there's an other need, let's pray for it.
0: Uh, There's a question here, it's so good, uh, from Mike Skins, and he asks, Dan, I know you as a great example of someone that walks in a very healthy balance of spirit and truth. How have you done it so well? What are some lifestyle and daily practices that have helped you?
1: Yes, I know Mike. I know this Mike, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mike is awesome. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, um, I guess just being consistent in um, in in my daily discipline, you know, spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word, and just being disciplined. I guess you know, self-discipline. Just saying that. And I mean, you know, I realize, you know, you know that things come up. You know, you might have to travel. You might have to do this or that. Where, but to I, I encourage people to get a routine, set aside a time for prayer, spend with the Lord set aside a time, spend in the Word. And, um, you know, I I realize some people work long hours, they don't have a whole lot of time, but even if you don't have a whole lot of time, you know, even if it's just a short time, even if it's just 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you know, just to be consistent, I think that's what has kept me going is just um, that, you know, take up the cross daily, Yeshua said, Luke 9.23. You know, it's a daily thing, like Paul said. I die daily. That look, I, I need to uh, just be consistent and to not get out of the habit. You know, yeah. and I, as I said, I realize you know sometimes things come up, and sure. you know you might have to not, you might not be able to do it this day. But well, that's okay. You know, you just you don't need to feel guilty about it. You just
0: right next day. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, we don't want it to become a a guilty oh no I didn't do it you know I think that kind of works mindset is always chasing and it seeks to in some strange way really separate us more from the very thing we're looking for but it's really in just this freedom that we have in in Christ that we can enjoy like enjoy and enjoy it (laughs) going after you know what he has given us through his holy spirit and the gifts he's left for us so you know i would echo what you said i think it's wonderful just find habits that are good uh you know for me one thing i did is i said when i pay for something whether it's at a grocery store or a restaurant or whatever and there's someone helping me uh, i'm gonna pray for that person I'm gonna say hey is there anything i can pray for you for you know, whatever, find good habits in your life to meet. If you have if you have neighbors or whoever in your life, uh, make it a habit that when someone tells you about their struggles to actually step in there with your faith, because we can't solve people's issues, but he can. Yeshua can and he wants to. And if you would just believe that he can step out and ask, well, can I pray for that? Like you just talked about your wife having done, um, then we will see f- our father move. So, yeah, go step out and see how wonderful he is and how powerful he can work through you.
1: Yeah, there, you know, there's a Bible verse I like it's Psalm 16. I think it's verse 11 it says in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures evermore." And I tell people, if your joy isn't full, spend more time in his presence, because in my mm-hmm. presence, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. If your pleasure, your spiritual pleasures, aren't lasting long enough, you know, get, get in, get to his right hand here. It, it's spending time in his presence. I mean, that, um, you know, one thing I shared at the Revive conference last week also, Uh, was in regards to, you know, there are many different aspects to our faith, obviously. You know, there's, you know, studying about this thing or that thing. And, uh, you know, there's Shabbat. There's, you know, just all kinds of aspects to our faith. But what is the one aspect of our faith that is the most important? And that is the presence of the Lord himself. That, you know, all these different aspects of our faith, they are supposed to be pointing us to him, to the knowledge of him. You know, that Jeremiah, I forget what chapter it's in, it says, let not the rich man glory in his riches or the mighty man in his might, and so forth. But let him that glories glory in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord. So it's it's the knowledge of the Lord himself, that relationship with him, that that is the thing that keeps me going. Uh, I remember when I was about 23 years old, still fairly new in the faith. I was walking along the road one day and just overwhelmed with gratitude for the fact that God had revealed himself to me and just overwhelmed and just so thankful that I was experiencing the presence of the Lord, that, that uh-huh. I knew he was real, I knew he was with me. And then as I was just you know thinking about how wonderful this is to actually know my maker, another thought came in my mind and a question I thought, I wonder, if God will seem this real to me when I'm an old man of forty years old, <laughs> well, I'm three score and fourteen now. For those of you who are not good at math, seventy-four, and God is even more real to me now than he was back oh. then. You oh. know that His presence is just even more real to me now than it was back then. So it's just you know it's just that that first love you know like Yeshua said you know to the church Ephesus you know. Look, you've done these things good, but I have mm. this against you. You've left your first love. Oh, so uh, people who've left their first love, they, he said, repent and do the first works. In other words, start doing what you knew from the beginning that you were supposed to do. You know, Get back to the basics and uh, get that first love rekindled.
0: Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that, Daniel. Um, I think that in this world with this thing we all have, this phone, And and social media and every and all the stuff we have, all the distractions, all the entertainment, you know, that intimate time with the father is something that's so easily forced by the wayside. And if we want to retain that first love, we have to spend time with the one whom we love. Right. Yeah. Uh, Because ultimately, if we lose our first love, that means that we fall in love with something else, something else have taken the place of our father. I would encourage anyone to really think about how much time they're spending on other things and just ask themselves have i allowed other things to really take the position of god in my life and having him um been taken off the place where he used to be in my life Uh, so yeah uh, daniel um i would like you to pray for all of us here tonight regarding all of these things. And perhaps we can even pray for something like the Jesus revolution that we had in the seventies happened in the 20, what is it now? 2023s. (laughs) So, uh, can we, may you please pray for us as we end the night off?
1: Sure. Yeah. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time together to, uh, to talk with one another and we do pray father in heaven that you would move by your Holy Spirit we know Lord that you uh, may do something similar you may be you may do something quite different than what you did 50 years ago but we know that you're the same we know your power is not diminished. the power of your Holy Spirit is same as it's ever been and ever will be that you change not the same yesterday today and forever so we just uh, pray father in heaven that you do something Lord to wake up this generation the especially among the young people who are the future. We pray, Father, that you would do a real work, a deep, deep work in the hearts of young people, Father, that you would get hold of some hearts, even if it's just a, a small handful that can can be used to uh, change the nation, to turn people from darkness to light and from wickedness to righteousness. And we just uh, trust you, Father, in heaven. And we, we pray, Lord, for those of us that are old timers, those of us that are uh, probably on the, way out and hopefully not too soon but uh those of us that are older we pray that as long as we're here that we can be an inspiration and encouragement to the younger people to press on and to uh to really get down to business and to really be serious about their commitment to you to take up the cross daily and be your disciple and to uh father just to have priorities in order to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and trust you for all the, the needs that we have i wish you his name
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Daniel. Hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us also here tonight. I just want to share with you that if this broadcast if this story discussion has been a blessing to you, uh, I would like to invite you to sow into Daniel's ministry Uh, tonight. uh, If you make any kind of a gift, I'm going to be sending that to Daniel's way. I didn't tell him I'm going to do this, but I desire to do this and bless him here tonight um, for his service to all of us here in ministry. Uh, so if that's you, if you feel like the heart's pricking you, please consider making a donation. All right. So Daniel, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on with me. I know it was such a good and entertaining conversation for everyone.
1: Okay. And, and if anybody's interested in getting on my mailing list, uh, yeah. for my little, I put out a little magazine called Gates of Eden. Gates of Eden dot online, And You can read about it on the website if you want to sign up for the new newsletter.
0: Yes, I'm going to be putting Daniel's links in the description of this video and as a comment for anyone who wants to find some of his resources and uh, perhaps to get on his list as well. I think that's going to be a great blessing. So, awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Uh can't I, wait. Maybe I, we can do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, okay. Thanks for having me on. Okay.
0: Shalom, guys. Hello.